Welcome to the Strange and Interesting Podcast, a podcast about folklore, the paranormal, urban legends, and pretty much anything else that I happen to find strange and interesting. Joining me today is a guest, Tony Arzaga. Is that how it's pronounced? You can just call me Zaga. Zaga. Okay. So we are both on a Facebook group uh, for podcasters called Podcast Nation, and every week they put on a they put up an announcement for people looking to either be a guest on a podcast or uh, people looking for guests. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago, I had Erin Scott on the show. So she talked a bit about blues and specifically a blues legend, Robert Johnson, and some of the folklore behind him. And Tony offered to come on to talk about Salem, Massachusetts. Yes, I actually was just there last weekend. Yeah, last weekend. I was just there, took a little mini vacation with me and the wife, so something fun. Cool. So before we begin, um, so Zaga, why don't you start by introducing yourself? Talk uh, if you want to anything you want to tell about yourself, and then uh, if you want to talk a little about, bit about your podcast as well. My, my name is Zaga. Uh, it's a play off my last name, which I'm not going to really disclose too too much on that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do have a couple of podcasts that I am working on. Uh, one is a hip-hop and sports review podcast. I also have another one that's going to be a movie review podcast coming out. I'm actually working on a third one as well. And I'm always open to be a guest, as uh, you guys don't really have, you guys can't see me, but I do have a pretty much studio going on in my office currently. Uh, so I take this stuff very, very uh, seriously. But I chose, I definitely wanted to be on this show because uh, Paranormal and Supernatural and those tales, I have plenty of stories on. So I'm sure this is going to be a fun one. As far as with the paranormal, one thing I've told my friends is that even though I have an interest in this kind of stuff, I've actually had, I really haven't had any definitive paranormal experiences. You're very lucky. Because I've had friends who've, uh, lucky? Yes. <laughs> I, I suppose it depends because I know there's people who, they they have paranormal or unusual experiences and it's horrifying and traumatic. And then there's other people who it's not necessarily bad. And in my case, like I said, I never really had any thing that I could truly classify as paranormal. And as far as my interest in the paranormal, I got started at a fairly young age. I used to watch a show called Sightings. I've heard of that. It was a good show. I have to say that personally, I liked the show a little better in the early seasons where they would have segments like, okay, here's a UFO story. Now here's a ghost story. Now here's a cryptid story. But then eventually it just felt like they were focusing too much on UFOs. Uh, yeah. I watch a lot of the paranormal shows nowadays. My wife and I both enjoy watching them. So how did you first start become interested in the paranormal? Uh, I got interested in the paranormal at a very, very young age. Um, when I was about five years old, uh, I apparently had a pet. I had a, I had a ghost friend and a ghost pet uh, in the house I grew up in. My father came down to get me for dinner, and he heard me running around playing, uh, running around playing, and he's like, "Oh, come on, you know it's time for dinner." And I ignored him, and he came downstairs to come get me. And next thing you know, I'm looking around. I'm like, "Where'd the doggy go?" And my dad's just looking around like, we don't have a dog. Hmm. And I was like, no, the doggy and the old man, where'd they go? Uh, found out 
my, after that hearing that my father freaked out a little bit uh, back in the 90s had to go to the library there was no internet um, and do some research go through the stuff um, apparently the last owner of the house was an old man who passed away because uh, he was walking down the basement to the basement where my father was staying at the time because he was a young dad and he the guy walking down to the basement was peeling an apple tripped on the stairs broke his neck and the knife accidentally stabbed the dog and killed them both in the basement. Oh, wow. Yes. So that was the very first interaction I had with paranormal. Um, ever since then I've been peaked. I've always tried to get something on film, tried to catch something. I actually did get something in my old podcast, which is actually the hat that I'm wearing right now. A to Z pod. Um, my old podcast, we actually got something on camera in the middle of our show my bookshelf here, I had a couple books on there. At one point, a book flew off the shelf at me. We had no explanation. There was no reason for it. Nobody was home. Uh, so we've had – my. I'm trying to believe that my house isn't haunted, but I'm haunted, So, um, which I'm okay <laughs> with. So, And it's weird because me personally, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in religion or spirit or you know, like heaven or hell, but I'm a sci- man of science. So the, way I be- the reason why I believe in spirits is because energy is never never dissipates, but it's just transferable. So I think that's what that energy is. But the paranormal itself, I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm a nut for it. I always try to find something. I always try to find an explanation for it. I'm first to debunk before I even say it's something paranormal, but I've had too many things happen to me that I just can't explain. That's one of the things I like about ghost hunters back in the day. I've walked, I don't know if you've watched a lot of their episodes or not, oh, yeah. but I always like it how they try to debunk things before they say it's haunted because i've seen some ghost shows where it seems no matter where they go they always find something yeah but i've seen episodes of ghost hunters where they are talking to the property owner and they're like "Mm, we really don't think it's haunted we couldn't really find anything that couldn't be dismissed inconclusive more so yes so that's that is always interesting. Some of the scientific theories that I've heard people come up with to try to describe some paranormal events. Mm-hmm. Um, a few episodes ago, I had a friend of mine, Jeff, on, and we had an impromptu discussion where we were talking about theories of the paranormal. So since you like, it sounds like you'd like to try to find rational explanations. I know one popular theory is the stone tape theory. What's the stone tape theory? I'm not too familiar with that one. The stone tape theory is that it's supposed to explain how you see a lot of paranormal occurrences in older buildings that oh, yes. usually are made more of stone. Yes, the stone holds energy. Yeah, the stone somehow, like an event will somehow imprint itself on the stones and then under the right conditions that somehow plays back and we see it as a ghost. And I'm a firm believer of that. Um, you see a lot of people especially like my wife, um, she, you know, she's big on the crystals. She loves crystals. And, you know, for centuries, thousands of years, people have got, come to stones for, you know, whether it's amethyst or jade or whatever. And there's always been a major, um, even even gold, right? Gold is a conductor of electricity, um, but that's more, that's a metal, not a stone. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but stone in general has given off electrical properties. Um, for example, talking about random paranormal or supernatural stuff, um, the crystal skulls in in Mexico, those things, they scan it. They said there's energy and information inside of it. They just don't know how to extract it. Um, so that's where the theories of, you know, you get them all together, the world land, da, 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 all that fun stuff. Uh, but I'm a firm believer that, you know, stone can hold that. Uh, I mean, you're telling me that if a fossil, 
if a creature is fossilized in stone, where the hell, where does that energy go? It has to be dissipated somewhere. Um, it, it's, it's a natural, it's that science, you know what I'm saying? So, um, Oh yeah. And, and I know we do use, uh, some types of crystals in different devices, like with the, you know, liquid quartz watches. Yep. And I'm sure there are others that I just, I'm not really familiar with. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not too versed in exactly what, what stones hold, <laughs> what kind of energy and the, the conduct, you know, how much it can conduct and whatnot. But, uh, I believe in it. Um, now charging it with the moon and stuff like that. Again, I'm not too big on spirituality and things like that. But yeah, I mean, listen. There's so many things that I like. I've had I've had a beer bottle thrown thrown at me from across a room, you know, in a room full of people. I I've personally, you know, I've smelt, seen, felt things like something touching me in a room with other people, and nobody else felt it but me. And uh, it, it's one of those weird things. Sometimes when you get that chill down your spine, it oh, makes yeah. you wonder. So the topic that Zaga wanted to bring to the show was Salem, Massachusetts. And I we were talking a little bit on Facebook before recording, and you mentioned that you've taken several trips there. Yes. So when, well, I'm sure one of the things we'll be talking about today are the Salem witch trials, because if you say Salem, Massachusetts, chances are the first thing that's going to come to mind are the witch trials. And it sounds like they actually devote a good portion of their... I'm not don't know if tourism industry is the best word for it, but they do have stuff on witch trials. There. And that's actually that's pretty correct. I mean, the main portion, I mean, I would say a big portion of Salem is dedicated to the witch trials. But I mean, that's what it's known for. So I give them props as a town that, hey, listen, you could let this kind of thing stain your identity and, you know, just be a red mark on there or you can just own up to it. Like This is what happened. And uh, that's what they did. And the main the main street, Essex Street. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous town. It's it's absolutely beautiful. All the buildings, the seeing buildings from the 1600s just alone, the old cemeteries, even if it wasn't a town that had such a nasty stain on it, it would still carry that creepy value no matter what, just because of how old that is. You know, anything old or abandoned or kind of run down is pretty creepy. And cool at the same time in a lot of ways. I don't know if you're familiar with the back rooms at all. No, not too not too familiar. It's a creepy pasta that's evolved over the years. Uh, essentially, what happened is it started out as an internet post of a what looks like inside of an abandoned office building, and then it was supposed to be a thread about it, places that felt off. Hmm. And then a couple of days later, an anonymous user posted a phrase. That if you're not careful and you no clip out of reality in the wrong areas, you'll end up in the back rooms, and where it's nothing but the stink of um, mildew, the moist carpet, mono yellow wallpaper. Oh, I have heard of this. And buzzing of yeah, and the buzzing of the fluorescent lights. So it's grown over the years. Originally, there were just three levels, and now there's a there's a wiki for it where. There's a last I checked, there was close to 250 levels. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I know there's at least 200. Since I've gotten involved in that community, I do find places of uh, abandoned areas interesting for some reason. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, with Salem itself, though, it's not even just the abandoned areas, the places that they turn into museums and uh, the Salem Witch House, which is the the only house that has direct ties to the witch trials that's still around. Uh, we actually did a tour there this weekend. So we've been there a number of times and we've never been able to do the touristy stuff because I think the last Halloween, there was over 400,000 people in Salem wow. on Halloween. 
And uh, I'm not a big people guy. I don't like uh, being the surra- you know crowded light. It's like Times Square on New Year's Eve, you know. So for me, I was we, we did it. We did it in November, and we got to do some of the touristy stuff. We went to the Salem Witch Museum, the Salem Witch House, and just walking in that house, even though that there's workers there, there's other you know people, you know, other people walking around looking at the museum. It gave a really weird vibe just to just to see like it's they recreated it to how they lived back then, and. One thing I will say is people back then were very small people, not tall people. Yeah. 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 It is always interesting to go to those historical places. There's a couple I've been to, like uh, I'm in Wisconsin and way back in the day, lead mining was a very important industry. And I remember in school going to a place called a city called Mineral Point and they have a, like a historic, a living, I think they call them living museums. Yep where they've got the buildings restored and the tour guides all dress in period outfits. So it is, it always felt interesting going there and down in uh, Oshkosh, there's a the Oshkosh public museum, which is actually inside one of these older houses. They've added to it over the years, but still the parts that are, that are original are creepy, but yet kind of comforting at the same time, if that makes sense. Oh, I completely get it. I, I, I was there. I, I was there in these houses and it felt you felt OK being there. I mean, it's, it's, I think maybe it's a sense of mm-hmm. uh, just simp- simplistic living. You know, we're we're so caught in the days of technology and having the newest gadgets and gizmos were back then. You know, it was here's a bed. Here's your workstation. Here's, you know, here's the living area. And it, it was just living to survive, not try to yeah. make a, not try to live don't work for a living and try to make money. Money wasn't everything so much. How old were you when you first went to Salem? Uh, First time I went was actually two two years ago. Well past the, like the high school and, and and educational years. Cause I mean, I've, I know a little bit about the Salem witch trials. It's not something I've ever really fully immersed myself in. I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff I've seen on like popular culture about the witch trials. That probably is not true. So before you went to Salem and started to learn a little bit about the witch trials and their history firsthand, were there any preconceptions you had and what are some of the things you learned that you know maybe you heard about on a TV show, but then you go there and they're like, no, that's actually not true. For the most part, majority of it's pretty on point. <laughs> uh, I watch a lot of you know ghost hunters, ghost adventures, whatever the ghost shows that are on Netflix. And there's always a special, as you've mentioned, on the on Salem Witch Trials in Salem, Massachusetts. It's, it's kind of a spokesperson for witches. Every every witch wants to go there. Uh, before going there, I was pretty naive to all of it. I didn't know much about it. I just knew it was a spooky town. Um, I love spooky things. And I was like, why wouldn't I go there? It's like a Halloween. It's Halloween 365 days a year. And, you know, first time going there, it, it was just a massive learning experience. We didn't really get to do much. Um, not even gonna lie, we got a tattoo our first time there because we couldn't do anything. It was everything was sold out, and uh, it was actually right. Uh, we went in 20, 2020. so it was right when COVID kind of was at the tail end. Things were opening back up. You had to wear a mask everywhere, so we couldn't. Re- and uh, they had a weird rule that you can't get tickets unless you buy them same day. So if you didn't hop on the website on midnight at midnight, you weren't getting any tickets for the for the stuff. So we kind of just free roamed. Um, didn't get a whole lot of learning experience at that time, just because we were just roaming around, taking in the sites, doing shopping. 
seeing what witchcraft has become. Um, now over the years, we've been able to do some, learn more and we've done more. Once we, the first time we went there, we fell in love with it. And that was a wrap. We started doing more research and learning more at that point to make ourselves uh, not essentially feel like tourists when we go there. Um, <laughs> and uh, we actually, this past, past uh, time we went, we did one of the ghost tours, which there's about a hundred ghost tours a night in Salem, Massachusetts, which is a little bit ridiculous um, because that's not how ghost hunting works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just being on that tour, I learned a substantial amount of going through the Salem Witch Museum, which when it was talking about all about the witch trials, like one of the things I learned that was absolutely preposterous in my mind was that if you were accused of witchcraft and you went to the dungeon, you went to jail. And later on, when the witch trap, when the witch hunt was over and everyone was like, oh, well, they're not witches. We overreacted. You're you're innocent. If you were in jail, you had to pay for your jail time. You had to pay for your meals, oh, your room. Uh, if you were being executed, you paid for the executioner <laughs> to be there. So if you were found innocent and you weren't executed, you couldn't leave jail because you didn't have the money to pay the pay the prison to get out, which to wow. me is absolutely astonishing. I believe the number was 19 people were killed in the Salem witch trials. And some of the stories I heard were just it's it's insane to think about as a human being. Forget the times, yeah. forget anything like that. But it just has a human being. Uh, it's absolutely terrible. And it was all on the preconception of, unfortunately, religion. And it pushed that notion of like, this is the devil. And that's all. That's literally all it was. Puritans being afraid of something that wasn't normal. When you talk about the pain for your executioner, I remember reading something about that. They used to do that in England, where you would get your family to pay for the executioner to make sure that his sword was sharp. So he would get the job done right the first time, because I guess there was this fear that if you were going to be beheaded and you didn't pay the executioner enough, he wouldn't really put a lot of effort into sharpening his sword or his, his ax. So it might actually take several strikes in order to cut your head off. So you'd want to make sure you're, executioner felt he was fairly compensated so he would give you a nice clean cut and end your misery <laughs> pretty quickly now I, I mean i heard another story when i was there i mean I, I don't this is from the tour guide so i don't know if he's just trying to build this fear factor or whatever the case was but apparently it was because if you couldn't pay the government or the town had every right to take your property so if they take more property they hit things for free essentially and and then really weird fun fact, uh, it all, the whole Salem witch trials started because people ate pies that had, or bread that had pee in it. That is a true statement. I swear on everything. It's the weirdest fact that I learned in Salem, Massachusetts, because back then what they would do is girls would be married off. Obviously girls, well, women were treated as yeah. property back then. Um, again, unacceptable as a human being, but back in those times, that was a norm. So the women to try to figure out who they were going to marry because they didn't know who they would marry at a young age. They would, they learned from uh, housekeepers, quote unquote, we both know what that means, not a housekeeper, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they would go learn from the housekeepers ways to tell the future. And one of the ways to tell the future was to pee in the making of the bread. And while the bread rises, it will tell you how, what about the man you're going to marry makes zero sense but they did it they did it a bunch of times and other people ate the bread got really sick and then they were bewitched wow that's crazy i mean 
I've heard of different divination rituals to try to predict your future uh, husband. I know one of the one of the rituals I heard about is like if you look if a woman goes and looks in the mirror while holding a candle at midnight on a certain night or something. Yeah. They'll supposedly see their future husband's image in the mirror, but if they see a skull, it means they'll die without getting married. I mean, I remember when I, in my English class in high school, reading Macbeth, mm. and we talked a little bit about the, you know, witchcraft in there, and uh, we had to do a report about one of the, something related to the time period, and I did mine on witchcraft. And I remember uh, when I was doing the research for that paper, a lot of the the stuff, then again, this is at least over in the United Kingdom, and I'm sure it probably followed to Salem, but a lot of times the witchcraft were, accusations were made over stuff like land dispute, mm. or if someone mm -hmm. was just like a social outcast. Very similar. Yeah, because there was one story I remember reading about where a woman was accused of witchcraft because their neighbor's daughter was losing control of herself. And of course she was executed as a witch, but nowadays they, you know, after looking back at it and seeing her symptoms, a lot of researchers thought she probably just had epilepsy, but they claimed that know, since the neighbor was kind of looked, yeah. Yeah. And since the neighbor was looked at uh, with suspicion was a bit of an outcast, they accused her of being a witch and they thought she was doing it. And that's very similar to what was going on in Salem. Similar things that actually, those girls that did the peeing and the bread, they, you know, all the people getting sick, they just, they didn't want to own up to to doing that. So they blamed somebody else that they were taught this stuff from, you know, from a witch. And then, you know, it created a divide in, in the town. And, it, you know, all of a sudden people were like, oh, they must be a witch or this person must be a witch because they didn't disclose the names. And that's where these, a lot of these false accusations came, uh, came from. Uh, one of the guys... Apparently he, you know, he wasn't accused of witchcraft. He, he just, uh, like he, like he supposedly hid a witch or something like that. Uh, Corey Giles, I don't know his entire backstory. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly. Uh, but he's, uh, like infamous and, or fa not infamous, but famous in Salem because he refused to, you know, say anything. He, and he wasn't technically, he wasn't executed, but one of the things they would do for torture to get you to talk was they would put uh, a plank of wood on you and put stones on you. And he was a brittle, like 80 some, you know, 70 year old man, six year old man, something like that. Uh, I, I'd say 80 because I think of today's age, but probably more like 45 years old. And they're like, he's an old man. But what he did was every time they would ask him, and this, he's actually kind of the cause of what stopped the Salem witch trials because they kept putting more, more rocks on him, more rocks on him. They tell him, talk to, you better tell us who's the witch or whatever. And the only thing he ever said till his last breath was more weight. And wow. he was, he was stoned to death. Um, it's actually one of the famous like sweatshirts, t-shirts you can get in Salem that says I got stoned in Salem. And it's all about Corey Giles <laughs> because that's literally, I have the hoodie myself. I had to get it, but he, uh, <laughs> He literally just, took, he didn't believe in accusing somebody of witchcraft. He said it was, this is all fake. This isn't real. And uh, one of the tours uh, that we did, he, um, they talk about, you know, just the growth of witchcraft and where it's become now in today's day and age where, you know, if you're a witch, it's kind of like an edgy TikTok thing now. Like, oh, you got your crystals, you got your herbs where you think about this. It wasn't that long ago. 
you know, a couple yeah. hundred years isn't that long in the, the scheme of humanity. Where witchcraft, you know, in almost every single other culture is completely a witch doctor. You want you want one, <laughs> you know. You know, think about ancient Egypt where any kind of witchcraft you you were you're getting into the royal fame. You're going up to the royalty at that point. You're going to the the palace. And it's weird that into you know in that society that it just changed all of a sudden and something evil. It's crazy to put those things into perspective, especially when you walk through these 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 tours and they explain those things to you. I've had a lot of friends who are Wiccans over the years, and I know there's people who argue about oh, the difference between Wicca and witch, and there's some Wiccans I've known who don't like that term. There are others that don't really care. I've never really met any witches that were, you know, as you said, the edgy TikTok. It, you know, you see the girls who dress up in the witchy stuff, and they wear the witch hat, and they put the, you know, the, the black eyeliner on, they paint their nails real black and pointy. And it's like, you're not really a witch, though. Are you really practicing these things? Because the, the, yeah. the, the one thing I love about Salem is that they, they, there's people who truly follow witchcraft. And they, the stores there are true to the worship of witchcraft and you know, worship or following. I don't know how, what the proper terminology would be, but they have all the herbs. They have all the spell books. They have all the things. Tar- I can't tell you the amount of tarot cards you see there. Crystals. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can get your fortune told at any store. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun especially for harry potter nerds too because who doesn't love harry potter so are fortune tellers in salem kind of like slot machines in vegas where you can find them at the gas station and just about in the grocery store for the most part i mean there there's a couple of spots that you know i fully believe that they know what they're talking about um for whatever reason they were able to tell me things about myself that i did not mention um, I mean, people at home can't see me, but you know, you can see me here, Al. I'm wearing just a black shirt. There's nothing a whole lot about me. It just has my 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 online name on here. I have a mustache. I have tattoos, but if I'm there, I'm wearing a hoodie because it's the it's the fall time. So there's not a lot of descriptive features about me that they could pinpoint. And they were bringing up an accident that I had when I was 13 years old when I got hit by a car. They were bringing up relationships from the past that I had, and I'm like, how do you know this? And it, it's really impressive. Um, I, is it a trick? I don't know. I really can't say yes or no. Uh, maybe it is an intuitive thing. Were they asking you a lot of questions or how were they coming at the conclusions and stuff? Uh, so I like to do the tarot card readings because tarot cards, I mean, cards in itself, probability is one in 52, right? So when you're pulling the tarot cards, uh, they pull them out and then they're like, well, I'm sensing there was an accident a major one um, in your early teen years. Um, and, and then they would get down. It seems like around 13 years old. And I'm like, okay, what, what, what is it? What is it? What is it saying? What kind of accident? And I would ask them the question just to see, can they pinpoint the details? Um, Cause you can go, I mean, John Edwards got away with it for years on TV. Remember he would be like, oh, yes, yeah. I'm sensing an uncle. Did anybody lose an uncle close by? And then be like, yo, I lost an uncle. Ah, yes, it's your uncle. I see it now. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I know how to play those games. That's just by playing with the mind, tricking people to believe something. This person, I'm, I'm a skeptic, so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to be very quiet. I'm not going to question. I'm not going to answer questions in detail. I'm not going to spill some stuff out. I'm going to let you tell me what you see. And when they tell me the details that I haven't disclosed and you don't know me from a hole in the wall, it's impressive. Um, there's been a few that you know. Somebody said my past life, I was a little girl and I get, I drowned and got ate by an alligator. I'm like. What? What do you get? What is that? There's, there's not even a factual <laughs> thing. 
But there's some that are, you know, they'll say some nonsense just to try to make a quick buck. And there's some that I, you know, I truly believe that might have some gift in tapping into some kind of spectrum that I can't see, understand, or feel. Yeah, the reason I was asking about questions, and it sounds like you're familiar with this too, cold reading. Because mm. I know, um, like another one that they'll sometimes do is they'll say, oh, I'm sensing someone who... Uh, died and I feel a pain in the chest, possibly lower in the abdomen. And it's like, okay, let's see. That could describe someone dying of lung cancer, <laughs> exactly, uh, heart disease, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer. You open this vagueness and then you let somebody feed into it. And then, yeah, I get it. So it sucks because for me, a uh, little you know about me personally, I actually, I work at a car dealership. I'm a general sales manager of a dealership, general sales manager of a dealership. And I've worked in sales for the last 10 years. There's not a lot of things people can say to me that I'm not going to come out you know, skeptic from the get-go because you're selling me on something. And there's one thing any salesman hates is being sold because we're going to try to dissect your sales process and try to stumble you up just because we want to make you feel the pain we feel every single day. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's kind of what I go into these things with. And like most, magi most magicians hate me because I will try to, I will sit there and try to say, like, uh, what's the movie called? Uh, some, uh, my cousin Vinny. When they, he's explaining okay. Vinny and he's calling out that his, you know, Vinny was debunking the guy. It's under his hat. Oh, he's palming the card. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm a kid from New York. I'm Italian and I'm a salesman. I am the stereotypical sales guy that you probably would hate to talk to. But I know how to read people like that. So when I'm stumped, okay. it's usually a pretty good time. I, I know only a very little about tarot cards. It's not, uh, again, it's not something I've really delved too deeply into. And at, at least the way I understand it is there's different formations a tarot card reader will use. And when they put down a card, it's like, okay, this section here is supposed to represent past challenges. So you might look at whatever card appears in past challenges and then try to draw a conclusion from that. And, you know, this space over here represents your greatest fears. And then if you see this particular card, so at least that's how I understand it. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, I gotcha. Um, so I've, I, I go to a Renaissance fairs a lot too. Um, there's a Renaissance fair in New York that I've gone to. It's a huge one thing is it'll take you a whole day to walk this place around and they have, they have a psychic reading section. So I'll, I'll always, every year I'll check out a, a new one because they just all the same people, same vendors come back every year. And I'll check out a new one every time. And some will do what you're saying. They'll try to they'll try to dig for for some kind of conclusion. They'll try to ask you a question. Like, do do you work in a stressful environment? Oh, okay. Do you do this? And then excuse me. They'll ask you questions that can lead them to a random conclusion. Now, yeah, could they nail something on the head? Luckily, of course. I've been to enough to where they they they'll pull the cards and they'll do they'll do their separate sections because that's what you're supposed to do in the tarot readings. And They'll just blatantly say, you know, it looks like the job that you're in is not the one you love. What are you doing? What are you doing right now? Because you're doing something else that you're in love with, but it's not paying the bills. And what is that? And I'm like, okay, that's a weird one because not a lot of people that I know have side hustles or side aspirations that they're really trying to go for. Because most people, you know, majority of the people out there, you're going to go do your nine to five and come home and do the laundry, take care of the kids, mow the lawn live your normal life from there. You're not going to try to work more. Only the few sick individuals like ourselves here are going to do podcasts and <laughs> continue to do more work and edit and stuff like that. So when I told her I want to do podcasting and I want to do stuff like that, she 
I don't know if she took from that and ran, but she she mentioned my grandfather who passed away. She's like, your grandfather passed away from a heart attack. It was like at a young age. And I'm like, how the hell did you know that? <laughs> I was like, my grandfather could have still been alive and I would have been pissed about it. But how did you, how did you nail that at mm-hmm. a young age? Or And there's just some things that they'll say that I've, I've been told. And I'm just like, wow, that is absolutely insane that you were able to to know that about me. So the message to the audience here is if you ever want to look for places to get your fortunes told, Salem is a great place to do that. <laughs> yeah, just don't go to the ones that, you know, there's like psychic reading for $10. No, no, no. You get, you're going to have to pay for a good psychic. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> okay. So going back to the, the Salem witch trials. So you mentioned the one of the punishments, they would put a board on someone and then just keep piling weight until they can't breathe. There's another punishment I've heard about. I don't know if they did this in Salem or if it was just in England. And this is another one where we got to look back at it and think, what the heck were they thinking? I mean, I know the rationale, but it's you still wonder how they got to that conclusion. The one where you tie someone up and throw them in like a pond or a river. And if they float... Okay, that wasn't that wasn't was Salem. Fl- I would have heard about that one. That one was not in Salem. That's that's a that's old English right there. <laughs> okay, so yeah, if you float, you're a witch. You're guilty, and we're gonna kill you. But if you sink, you drown and die, but you're innocent. And at least the rationale I heard for that one is that supposedly witches, since they uh, rejected the waters of baptism, that means the waters would reject them, and uh, or how. They're supposed to be supernaturally light, and that's what allows them to fly, and that's why they would float in the water if they were a witch. And it's like, okay, yeah, we you just got to look back at it and wonder what the what heck, you know? No, and I get that. Um, one of the things that I learned there, because uh, I did the, I did a number of museums, so you got to forgive me. I, there's a lot of information thrown at me, and I've tried to absorb most of it. I did the Salem Witch Dungeon Museum, um, so that was a that was a that was a new one. And one of the things that they did, they do a recreation of what a court scene would look like uh, if you're on trial, which was kind of cool to see something different, uh, especially seeing actors dress up in the stuff and act it. And one of the things they would do is they'd make you recite the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And if, if you're not a witch, you can recite the whole thing front to back. No skips. But they would put you on the spot in a stressful environment with an entire town screaming at you in front of a court. So, of course, there's going to be – and, and they would stop you for – if you took a breath, if you stu- if you stuttered our, our you know, father and then stop, oh, that's it. She's a witch. She's a witch. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I, I talk for a living in sales, on podcasting. You People listening at home, you've heard me stutter 16 times already. And I can't even imagine – you know, being put on the spot like that in front of a ton of people where it's pretty much life or death. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, one of the other to- uh, like punishments they would do is, of course, if you couldn't pay for the prison, uh, you got put in a really bad cell. Uh, one of the cells was maybe a three by three, and they would put three people in there at a time. And a medium class, like, a, or they said a high class cell would have a bunk bed. It would have a pot that would you could pee and poop in and they would they, you know you have to pay for the, the pot separately but they would clean it you could pay for the cleaning service as well um you would actually be given food they wouldn't give you food you have to be pay for that <laughs> but it some of the torture was just absolutely unbelievable like just again just thinking as a human being like you wouldn't even treat you know oh, yeah. a dog that way or not even a dog we would experiment on rabbits like you wouldn't even think that do that to a rabbit you know what i'm saying oh yeah now, uh, I know there's another torture I've seen that they would use in the movies. 
I, I think they call it the dunking bucket or something where they've got like a large, uh, like a large barrel they make, and then they just dunk them up and down. Uh, sometimes they'll like, if it's like a really large basin, they've got the, uh, it's kind of like a seesaw, except on one end, they tie the person to a chair and then they dunk them back and forth or up and down. Did they do that in Salem? That, or is that more of I a, didn't see anything on that one. I think that's more the English stuff because, I mean, the English torture devices, they win the golden medal for torture devices. I think one of the worst ones I've seen was uh, they did this to women. It had a large metal spike, and they would tie weights to each leg and split her down the middle. And they would put that Eek. spike where her imagination can go. And it, that, to me, like that's absolutely horrid. Um, I mean, you think about Vlad the Impaler. Um, that's more Romania, but he would grease a pole, impale you, and you would just slide down slowly. Until you just died, like, like the, some of those things are crazy. I didn't. These are Puritans, so let's be real here. They're Puritans, so they're not going to do too too crazy on the spectrum stuff. Uh, they'll burn you at a stake, but uh, they're, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna dunk you in water too much. I think it was really just the Lord's Prayer thing because they were so devout religious people. What are some ways they would try to identify a witch other than using torture? I forgot the exact term, but the explanation was a, a superstitious dream somewhat is pretty much what it would be. It would be if you dreamt a weird dream and you saw that person in your dream, they had bewitched you. And that person is a witch. And there was no way to def, you know dispute that kind of evidence, but they would take it in That's court. That's true. Like, well, this person, you know, I had a dream that I was being chased by a bear and, and, and this person was riding the bear. And they 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 were the one that cast this this darkness on me, and that's kind of or, or if men had impure thoughts of another woman, they would blame the woman for being a witch, of course. So yeah, um, because one of the things I've heard, and you know, again, this I might be thinking more of like what they would do in England, but some of the other things they would do is they'd look for unusual birthmarks, and like another thing they would do is they would take a like a sharp object. And if they, you had a birthmark, they would poke it in to see if you felt it. Because supposedly, if uh, you didn't feel pain there, that meant it was the devil's mark and you were a witch. And supposedly what some of these witch hunters did is if they didn't like someone and they wanted to try to prove them as a witch, they had a, it would look like an ice pick, but it was designed so that the, well, it's not really a blade, but the sharp and pointy part would like go into the handle so that way you wouldn't really it would look like it's going in even though it's not i've never heard anything like that in salem at least i know they would do hangings and burn at the stake those are the two things that i know for executions um reciting the lord's prayer but a majority majority of the testing if you were a witch was based on dreams or if you know your neighbor accused you and had any well, my crops died and theirs didn't. They're clearly using witchcraft. Kind of like it was it was <laughs> yeah. so petty little things. Or if like somebody owed you a debt, that was one of the one of the stories I heard was if somebody owed you a debt and they couldn't repay you, uh you came up they had a claim of witchcraft. Um it was mainly by word of mouth. There was no real testing to it. And, uh, and this was during a time where there was famine. Uh there were the winter was really, really bad. There was a uh, I forgot what flu was going around at that time. People were, you know, were scared, were 
were upset were you know it and it's funny because in the Salem Witch Museum they actually talk about this a similar situations similar situations at a Salem Witch trial in current day America. Uh so when you think about uh, after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese internment camps, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're imprisoning Japanese Americans for no reason. Um, maybe you're not torturing them, you're not executing them, but you're interrogating them. And we, as we know, America is not, they're pretty good at interrogating. <laughs> so they'll get that information one way or another. So it's the same concept, just a different time frame in a more civilized way from what we know. But God knows what's in those CIA files. Yeah. But, but when you look at it, it's a similar situation. They talked about another one too. I forgot what it was. It was during the Cold War. Even thinking about, oh, the Red Scare and the McCarthy. The Red Scare, yep. Yep, yep, McCarthyism. Exact that's exactly what was on the wall. People thinking everyone's a spy. It's the same concept in current day America. And unfortunately, you see it today just in the the divide between left and right on the political standpoint. But it's the same thing even now, even after even with COVID. COVID was a think about I mean, I think about that too. When I walk through there, I'm like, oh my God. Like you know, you heard you heard somebody cough and you were in a grocery store. You ran like you, you went the other direction because in the beginning of it, it was scary. Nobody knew how serious this was or what was going to be about it. Um, you had people who didn't believe in it. You had people who did believe in it, people who took it to an extreme level. And, uh, you know, but if somebody did golf near you, you are, I mean, we all make the joke, like you'd sneeze and you'd be like, no, no it's not COVID. It's not COVID. Mm-hmm. I just had a tickle in the throat. I promise you were fine, but it's the same concept. And it's, it's crazy to think of that. That stuff, the stuff still happens today, you know? I mean, I was a big heavy metal fan. Well, still, I'm a heavy metal fan. But back in the 80s, uh, when I was still growing up, I was a metal fan. I was a D&D fan. So, you know, I, I know about oh, those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the with the Satan. Sca- yeah, the Satan worships. Yep. yep. And I actually did a, for last month, I actually did an episode entirely on the Satanic Panic. And, you know, as I mentioned that episode, I was lucky where my my parents didn't buy into it. Because, good, you know, because <laughs> it's a good I, thing. <laughs> I kept out of trouble. I wasn't doing badly in school. When I got old enough, I was, you know, held down a job. So I wasn't doing anything that would make them think I was, you know, into drugs or Satanism or anything like that. But I know other friends who, I know other people growing up who had parents that would not let their kid play Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. because they thought it was going to turn them into a Satanist. And uh, my old podcast partner, Chad, that's actually one of his experiences growing up. He told a story about how he went to a friend's house and it was too rainy to do anything outside. So they stayed inside and played Dungeons and Dragons. And he told his mom when he got home and she like made him go to confession and was freaking out and like was afraid he was going to mm-hmm. go to hell. So it's like, wow. <laughs> but, and it's so funny because when you think of that too, today in modern day, like blatantly honest, I have a necklace on right now. I'm, I'm part of the satanic temple. Technically. Yes. I'm a Satanist, but they're more of an activist group. That's a whole different yeah. side of it. <laughs> but the whole idea, like I have a sweatshirt that says hail Satan. I get looked so sideways when I go to the grocery store, people get so uncomfortable even today in 2022 where you know, the, I think majority of this generation, I think the millennial and Gen Zers are not religious in any sense. Um, but you know, think of what, just 30, 40 years ago, that was a major, that was a serious thing, you know, cause when you had, you had serial killers back then, you know, Charles Manson, uh, Ramirez, those guys who claim, you know, the devil made him do it. Um, so it's just weird again, to see the differences on that, but 
the fact that it was a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt for kids who were just trying to find a way to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Something so simple. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of my friends in high school, I had a friend in high school who was a Satanist and yeah, she would get, you know, sideways looks all the time. And we always got along really well. Cause I was one of the few people who was actually nice to her and like, well, you haven't done anything wrong to me. So I don't, I don't care if you're a Satanist. <laughs> exactly. It's the, even my old podcast partner used to call me. Uh, he said I was part of a cult. I'm like, it's not a cult, <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, just someone who, you know, people who are, and it's just, it's just knowledge at this point. It's just yeah. learning about the other things. Like I said, I'm mainly an atheist and being an atheist is kind of boring because there's no groups that want to get together and be like, Hey, we don't believe in uh, yeah. religion. Uh, so it's per majority of the church that the temple or church, whatever you want to call it is that, you know, they don't believe in it. They just believe in being a good person. Yeah. But then but you don't know that if you see the symbols that we wear, you're immediately, you look at that and you think, oh, they sacrifice chickens and cats and eat goats and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I have a degree in religious studies. So one of the things that we always talked about in our in religious studies classes, it's like, yeah, cult is pretty much any religion that's more bizarre than your own. Or I know there's some scholars, they always like to say the difference between a cult and a religion is time. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. So I mean, true. there was a time when christianity was considered a cult and but mm -hmm. a little off topic there so yeah we went down a little rabbit hole there but but no i get it though with the witch, with the witch hunt back then and it, it, it's continuous with everything uh, when the columbine shootings happened they said video games were the cause for that and then you, every parent was going after video games when you know kids were acting out of line well it's the music they're listening to it's that yeah. hip-hop music that's coming up uh, I mean, it's always something, and unfortunately, and it's never changed since the 1600s, it's propaganda. Yeah. It's the news outlets, it's the internet now, it, it's always something that's going to spark that fear for people. And I'm curious to see what the next one is. I mean, you look at today's economy, and you look at all the stuff going on in the world, especially the conflict in Ukraine, or the war on, on Ukraine right now, uh, it's absolutely it, something is going to be, there's going to be another witch hunt coming soon for something. Yeah. And we just don't know what. Yeah. Maybe podcaster next. Yeah. <laughs> you're, a podcast, you're, you're a bad guy. You're a witch. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then when you talk about the whole video games and violence stuff, um, my cousin and I used to do a podcast where we talked about video games. And I know that's a subject we addressed uh, several times because, you know, it's unfortunate whenever there's a mass shooting, usually the first one of the first things politicians like to blame is violent video games. And there's actually been, I mean, I know that there's been studies trying to connect violent behavior in video games to at least I think the eighties when video games started to become more popular and mm -hmm. especially after mortal Kombat got really popular and oh, yeah. the conclusions have all been that video games can cause aggression, but that's not that isn't going to lead over to an act of violence. So if someone loses a game of call of duty, well, they might throw their controller against the wall, but they're not going to go grab a gun and shoot up a, you know, a store or a restaurant or anything like that. Exactly. And I mean, these politicians just need to hop into a call of, du a call of duty lobby one day. <laughs> just hear the things that go on. I mean, it's never anything of real anger or like, yes, most of the time when you get angry, it's because like in today's gaming world, it's because there's a camper. Yeah. Or, you know, that's pretty much majority of it or they're cheaters. And then, like, you know, yeah, you, you feel cheated out of playing the game. And of course, you're going to get angry. But am I going to go out to the grocery store and, you know, stab somebody? No, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It, 
it, it's the problem. I mean, again, we're going way off topic here. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I just want to bring this point home. It's a matter of mental health, right? Yeah. And that's really what it is. It, pe- the people that are doing these things, they're not they're not doing it because of video games. It's a scapegoat. And it's the same thing with the witchcraft, with the Salem witch trials, uh, you know, saying there was witches. That was a scapegoat for the famine, for the fear, for the, you know, the lack of, you know, food and illness. Pearl Harbor was a scapegoat. You have to pinpoint a bad guy and just put it all right there. I mean, if you unify everybody to hate one type of one, one certain area, one have a common enemy. That's the best way to unite people. You saw what happened in Germany. Yeah. And, you know, when you go back to another point you made, how it's like if a someone said, well, my crops died, but my neighbor's crops are flourishing. Well, I suppose it's easier to uh, blame your neighbor and accuse him of being a witch than just admitting that you're a crappy farmer, right? Well, yeah. And if, if, you, if you're right and they can't re- recite that Lord's Prayer perfectly when they're asked to, well, you're gonna you're entitled to their land. Exactly. Well, guess what? Now you just got a whole fresh fresh thing of 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 crops, and you know there it is. Yeah. But you know it's it's it was crazy. See, hearing some of the stories about that that time was it's just absolutely ridiculous that they got away with it, mm-hmm. and that it was a norm, and that it went for as long as it did. So I actually live in Connecticut, and uh, I didn't know there was a there was a similar witch hunt in in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first one. I think it was actually before Salem, but back then, you know, they didn't have the instant notifications of knowing what's going on. So by the time that the news from here traveled up to there, it's a two hour, two and a half hour drive from me from Hartford area. So what is that got to be like a four day trek, five day trek. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you start spreading. Yeah. There was witches in our neighbor, in our town. And that, well, next thing you know, it spreads, it spreads like wildfire. Yep. So when you've uh, been to, Salem. And again, you mentioned you've been there a few times. What are some of your places to visit there? And if someone wanted to go to Salem, are there any, well, I don't want to say tourist attractions, because I'm sure they have them out there, but it sounds like they also have a a lot of museums and places that are focused more on the education rather than the entertainment. So if someone puts a trip to Salem as on their bucket list, where would you recommend they visit? Uh. Well, first thing for staying there, um, I recommend the Hotel Salem. It's a very modernized hotel. Be- absolutely beautiful. Weird weird showers. There's no doors, so water just gets everywhere. But just I have, I have to point that out. That's the only flaw <laughs> that that hotel has. Uh, they have a rooftop bar, restaurant, stuff like that, kind of nice. Now, the place I'm actually getting married in, maybe my fiance, wife, but I'm just, I just call it my wife at this point. But <laughs> uh, we're getting married there in two years is the Hawthorne Hotel. That is the oldest hotel in Salem. It is notoriously haunted. There, it's been on Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, pretty much any ghost show. They've done a stay, and I think it was room one thirty-five. Apparently, they see a woman in a white dress. Uh, so, interesting enough, that's one of the places I haven't stayed there yet because they are you. They already they are already booked for October of twenty twenty-two. That's how popular they are. So I don't, I, if you're planning on going, go, don't go in two years because I'm getting married. So I'm booking that out, but you can go the year after, <laughs> go 2025. But yeah, so the, the Hawthorne uh, and the Salem Hotel, uh, plus there, there's plenty of Airbnbs in old houses that people have renovated to be, uh, you know, a bed and breakfast. Really cool to stay in some of those states' houses. But as far as attractions, bring a lot of money because majority of Salem's attractions are, are, are shopping. You're going to shop for those. You're going to eventually buy a witch hat. Because why wouldn't you if you're in Salem, Massachusetts? You're going to buy shirts and stuff like that. My favorite store is called Blackcraft. 
they're all, you know, they have demonic, satanic, witchy. It's all Halloween, mm-hmm. and their store is actually inside of an old, an old uh, bank. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a cool sight to see. Just walking around in there. There's Hex, which is one of the most notorious or one of the most famous stores there. Restaurants, you would have a big appreciation for one of my favorite restaurants there. It's called a uh, Bit Bar, and Bit Bar. When you walk in, it's like you're back in 1988, 1992. They had Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles, every, all that kind of stuff on the TVs. And it's filled with every arcade game you could think of. I actually took a picture of House of the Dead 2. Oh, awesome. The shooting game. Yes. We were sitting there and I'm like, babe, I'm about to go spend a lot of money on this game. So I'm going to beat it. I'm old. I'm prepared. I played a lot of Call of Duty to get to this point. <laughs> but there's there's plenty of places to eat. They are a little pricey. There's one diner that's been there since like the 1700s called the Red Tavern. Probably the one of the best diners I've ever been to. They're just, they're just quick and they're actually the cheapest place to eat, which is why it's one of my favorites. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just plenty, plenty of places for food, all kinds, Spanish, Mexican, Chinese, Italian, seafood, whatever you can think of. But if you do go to Salem, don't get just don't get too caught up on the witch stuff. Um, there's plenty of other beautiful things to see in Salem as well. Uh, it was a major port back in the 1600s, so they have a ton of museums and history. Supposedly, supposedly, and I say that because this was part of the ghost tour. I don't know how true this was, but Blackbeard the pirate is buried in the main cemetery in Salem. Hmm. His his body is as a that, that his remains, whatever was found there, his head is kept at the Peabody Museum. You will never see it. They keep it locked away because there is a curse tied to the head of Blackbeard. But it is in that museum. Wow. Rand- um, so random, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so you said that going and buying a witch's hat there. So I suppose that would be the equivalent of buying mouse ears when you go to Disney. If you go to Disney World. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's very similar to that. You're going to see those kinds of things. Right in the center of town, they have uh, the Bewitched. Uh, what's what's from the TV, the 1970s TV show, Bewitched. Okay. They have a statue of her just sitting in the middle of a courtyard. And it's like, it's one of those photo op things where everybody takes a picture of uh, with. Uh, so you'll, you'll see them. It's in every single store except for the real witch stores. <laughs> the real witch stores don't carry them because they don't actually wear those hats. There's a huge Harry Potter section too. There's a they have a Harry Potter store that's actually attached to the Ouija board museum, which that's actually really cool to see. Terrifying um, because I don't, I'm, I don't mess with Ouija boards for a reason. Um, we can, I'm sure we can discuss that another time, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they have a Ouija board museum. They have a, it's a, I forgot why not is what it's called. It's a, uh, you can buy uh, wands. Okay. So they have complete replicas of the Harry Potter ones, but they have like, true to history of what witches would use for ones, you know, ones wrapped in cloth and herbs and stuff like that. And then they have ones that are just, you know, they threw it on a lathe and mass produced it. So people can just buy them on yeah. a quick win, but they, they're, it's all pretty cool. Definitely check out the, the local shops. It's fun. And there's a really, really cool comic shop there. I got to throw that one out. I spent about at least an hour or two hours there. Every time I go, <laughs> what's the name of the shop? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you, but it's right across the street from Blackcraft. <laughs> okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us today, Zaga. Now, before we go, it sounds like you're going to be starting up a new podcast soon. If someone does want to find your podcasts, where can they go? 
uh, the major ones, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, you're going to find my one hip to the game. That one, it, our first episode was released today, actually, on Monday, right before Thanksgiving. And my new my my new show um, that I actually just we just decided what we're doing today. That one we're not recording until next month, but check take a look out for that. That's going to be on movie reviews. We're going to pick random movies, and once we get a big enough following, you the listeners can pick the pick the movie that we want to listen to, that we want to watch and break down. Um, but the hip hop one, we just do album reviews and talk about the most recent sports stuff. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check it out. If you're into movies, check it out. Um, <laughs> And, and otherwise you can find me on other other podcasts i'm gonna try to be a guest anywhere i go and is it the name the is a to z pod the name of your two, youtube channel or uh a to z pod is my old podcast i just spent a lot of money on merch that I'm, i refuse to not wear it <laughs> <laughs> um but it that's actually probably gonna be turning into a to z production soon um so try to keep try to make use of what i have um because i am producing and editing and doing all the fun stuff for my my show so at least i can throw a production label on top of it when you said doing the fun stuff like the editing and stuff did was there a hint of sarcasm in there or uh <laughs> it's funny that's my favorite part i'm not gonna lie uh editing and doing all those kinds of things are my absolute favorite part of podcasting it's the marketing that's the one part that i cannot stand because you know tiktok and twitter and reddit and all these things it's so hard it's a full-time job to keep being relevant on those websites and i just don't want to do it i think also one of the other challenges with podcasting is just the trying to be consistent i mean if someone has never actually put together a podcast they might think oh it's easy you just sit in front of a microphone and talk and it's like well i guess it depends a lot on the type of podcast you do now, for something like this, it's actually nice and easy because I get a guest and, and we talk. But mm -hmm. for um, a lot of my other episodes, there's a lot of research that goes into it. So then, you know, you got to do the research. I got to write the script, got to record it, got to edit. For some of them, put music in there. So, yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of work. Yes. And then the music, you have to make sure it's not copyrighted and it's royalty free. And then the editing itself is so, you know, it's so tedious because sometimes you just have to get rid of a one word and then you got to search for that entire thing, find the right wavelength in that, that sound, that sound thing and delete it. And then if you want to make a short video just to put online so people can get an idea of what your show is about, that's even, that's even harder <laughs> because you have to find something that makes sense. One of the things I've heard some podcasters say they hate about editing is they hate listening to their voice and hate listening to themselves talk for uh <laughs> while they're editing and, Yes, I've, 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 unfortunately for me working in sales, my old, my old managers that I used to work for would record our phone calls and replay them to us. So I got used to hearing my voice very, very, very long time ago. And it made more sense to just, if I'm going to have to listen to my, myself talk, might as well make it worth something I enjoy. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, Saga. And thanks again for listening, everyone. And until next time, stay strange and stay interesting. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at poigamestudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at poigamestudio at gmail.com.